chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. We are going to do one verse tonight. First Peter 3. We're going to be right around verse 15. Like I said, we're going to only do about one verse tonight, and I guess to be quite honest, we're not even going to do the full verse, because two weeks ago we left off in the first part of verse 15, where it says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, I love that verse. And that's the passage we're going to talk about tonight, that idea of always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That we have a biblical responsibility as Christians. If someone comes up to you and asks you, why are you a Christian, that you have an answer for that. I mean, that's obviously logical. Now, the way we're going to tackle this is where it gets kind of interesting. Because the first time I read through this, I thought this is how we're going to handle this lesson tonight. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason. We're going to talk about evangelism. That's what we're going to talk about, I thought. We're going to go through all the different examples of Jesus, of every time he went and talked to somebody, how each situation was unique, and how each one was spirit-led, and we're going to talk about going and sharing your faith with Christ. And if you look at it, it's a really neat thing. You know, when Jesus talked to the woman at the well, this is the woman with the past of all pasts. So Jesus brought up the past and said, you need peace that only I can bring. When he talked to Nicodemus, this was a man that thought he was religiously right and he wasn't saved. So Jesus said, you've got to be born again. It's a great teaching, but that's not where the Lord wanted to go with it. So I said, okay, step two, always be ready to give a defense. I said, okay, well, the way we're going to handle this is we're going to talk about biblical basics 101. What are you supposed to say? What are the questions you need to know? Why do we believe in the virgin birth? Why do we believe that God's word is wholly inspired? Why do we believe Jesus is the only way? Then the Lord kind of changed it again. So at about 6 o'clock tonight, this is what we're going to go with. And that's why my notes are on the back of a bulletin, and I can't even read them myself. So this is what we're going to talk about tonight. Because this phrase really hit me when I read through it again. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. That phrase, the hope that is in you. That, that's the key phrase. And so I said there's no sheets tonight. And the reason there's not a sheet is not because of the time frame. It's because there's really only one point to bring out. And I just want to put it up there. Can you guys put this up there real quick? To effectively share the gospel, you must first experience the gospel. I mean, that's what it is. And I heard a pastor say that. I don't know when, but I remember a pastor saying that, and that has hit me ever since. I don't know how many times as a pastor I've taught lessons on sharing your faith. And we go step by step on how you're supposed to share your faith. I've even seen people do programs and booklets on step by step how to share your faith. One of my favorite stories is when we were starting up Campus Crusade over at Northwest State Community College, there was a guy that had a real heart for the lost. My goodness, this guy had a heart for the lost. I've only met a few people in my life that I really thought were called evangelists. And this guy really loved Christ and really wanted to see people get saved. So he always carried around the booklets of the four spiritual laws, if you're familiar with that. And so we were doing an outreach in the middle of the atrium at Northwest State Community College, and there was a guy that he sat down with and started sharing with. And so the, he was trained to go through the booklet of the four spiritual laws. And if you've never seen the booklet of the four spiritual laws, it's very straightforward how you do it. Well, he was doing the first spiritual law. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. First spiritual law. Well, it builds up to the point of you're a sinner, you need Christ and accepting Christ. You get through all the four, four spiritual laws. Well, after the first spiritual law, the guy said, I want to be saved. And the guy didn't know what to do because that's the fourth spiritual law. He couldn't jump to the fourth one because he's been trained. You do step one, then step two, step three. No one wants to get saved after the first step. You've got to wait to step four to get saved. So I've seen people so trained in how to share the gospel, it's no longer spirit-led. Well, this, this is what the book says. I read a book one time on how to share your faith, and the guy says, you learn a couple sports tidbits. 
And so therefore, when you see the guy wearing that shirt of that team, you can go up and start a conversation. The Lord goes there and that. That may work for him. I don't know. I know for me, each situation is completely unique, and I just got to be open to what the Spirit has to say. And sometimes it's wonderfully successful, and other times it doesn't seem like anything came out of it anyway whatsoever. You know, we went door to door in Belmore on Saturday, and there was some real neat fruit that came out of that. And I joked on Sunday that Dawn and I, the group that we were with, there was no fruit in any way whatsoever. And there was this one guy that we were talking to at length, real neat guy, and he and he name dropped God, and he did it in the right manner. You know, he did it properly. And I asked him, I said, are you, are you a Christian? And he goes, yeah. And he started talking a little bit more. And I started thinking in my mind, you know what, that question, are you a Christian? That really just doesn't give enough information. Because 80% of America claims to be Christian. So as the conversation went a different direction, we came back to him and I said, hey, tell me when you got saved. So he went through his story of when he got saved, how old he was, and all that other stuff, which is, amen. I sat there saying, man, why couldn't he not be saved? Because I could have led him to the Lord, and I could have something to share, and I didn't. So I just had a Met a Christian. How boring is that? But the neat thing is, he was saved. So there's opportunities where you get to share with somebody, and there's opportunities where you just get to talk with somebody. I remember it wasn't too long ago, I had a guy from the community pop out. He's only come to church once, sat down in my office after a service. He was in tears. His life was falling apart. He knew what he was doing is wrong. He wanted to be saved. He wanted to be different. So we sat there. I explained to him what salvation is, and I said, do you want this? Do you want this right now? Assurance of heaven. I went through everything with him. He looked at me in the eye and said, no, not now. I thought, oh my goodness, what did we do wrong? Well, maybe that was just our time to plant seeds. Maybe somebody else will come in a month later, a week later, or hopefully even by now someone else has come in and, and finished the deal. I don't know. But when it comes down to sharing the gospel, to effectively share it, you have to first experience it. The point is, we've taught on how to share the gospel. But unless you've experienced it, it means nothing to you. Until you have been touched by the Lord... Then you finally get the reason of why I want to go out and tell other people about the Lord. Because if you haven't effectively, I should say what the word I'm looking for, if you first have not experienced what it really means to be saved, you hear a message like this of sharing the gospel, and you think, well, what's the big deal? Because it's the most life-changing thing that's ever happened to you. Think about when Jesus, think about in the book of Acts, or when Christ himself, people got saved. What's the first thing they did? They went and told people. They were so excited they couldn't stop. They had to go tell somebody. Flip, if you will, to John chapter 1. just want to give you one example of this. And, and there's numerous examples I wrote down, but this is the best example here in John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're talking about that phrase, the hope that is in you. When I have first experienced the gospel, then I will effectively want to go share it because I know what the Lord has done in my life I want it to happen to other people too. Look at John 1, verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me, John 1, 43. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now we're in verse 46 of John 1. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Now, simple little verses there. What's the point? Philip met Jesus, and the first thing Philip wanted to do was what? Bring other people to Christ. That's what we're talking about. When you have met Christ, the first thing you want to do is tell other people about Christ. Because you know what he's done in your life. You know how he's changed your life. You know what he's done to your marriage. You know what he's done to everything. So therefore, you want them to go tell other people. And I'm being honest, I don't mean this to be nagging or legalistic or attacking. If there is not a passion inside of you to see people that are going to hell be turned around to go to heaven, you have to stop and ask yourself, have I first 
experience Jesus myself. Because when you experience what Christ has done in your life and your marriage, you want that to happen to somebody else. I just wrote a letter to somebody this week, and this person's going through a really difficult time. And the thing I wrote him is, and I gave him these verses, and I said in these verses, I said, the reason I give you these verses, if I've experienced this firsthand, these verses bring peace in tough times. So I'm telling you firsthand that's done it for me, and I want it to happen to you. I've experienced it, and I want you to now experience it. So when it comes back now to 1 Peter chapter 3, when it says, be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you, the first step in this is, have you first experienced Christ? Because we could sit here tonight and go through a lesson on apologetics. This is how you answer this question. This is what you need to answer this. Or we could go through step by step, this is how you share the gospel. It doesn't mean anything until you first experienced it, and then you want to go tell other people about Christ. You guys can go ahead and take that uh, slide off now. With that being said, when the hope is in you, the whole point is people see something in you that's different. Look at verse 16. Having a good conscience that they may defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. See, there's something different about you. So since there's something different about you, people come up and ask you what's different. And as we've said numerous times, if you're the same now as you were supposedly before you got saved, well then what in the world did Jesus save you from? There has to be a change in your life to show that something has happened, that Christ is now working in you, so people see, verse 16, your good conduct, and then they go back to verse 15, and they say, what happened? And therefore, since you've been touched by Christ, now you say, this is what he's done for me. So to effectively share the gospel, you first have to experience it. Just like Philip was so amazed with Christ, he said to Nathaniel, you've got to meet this guy. This guy will change your life. That's what we're talking about tonight. Now, before we move on to the rest of this, anybody have any quick questions, comments about that? Ryan. Mm -hmm. Right. You brought up a real good point about Genesis. I remember my Sunday school teacher from 25 years ago, she always used to say, if you can believe Genesis 1-1, you can believe anything. And so much goes back to Genesis. And that's such a neat point that you brought up there about Genesis because one of the passages in Second Peter is, at the end in Second Peter chapter 3, one of the signs of the end times is that people willfully forget creation. And I think it is important, like you're saying there, Ryan, for as Christians that we should have answers. Depending on your translations, some of your translations say prepared to give a defense to everyone who asks or to give an answer. And this is that word in the Greek is where we get our English word apologetics, that idea of defending the faith. And I think it is a good thing in verse 15 to have answers to questions people ask. I, I firmly believe that. And like I said, that was one of the ways I thought about taking the lesson until that phrase, the hope that is in you. There is an importance here as Christians. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And if people come up to you and ask questions and you don't know the answer, you know what the best answer is? I don't know. Let me get back to you on that. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't be afraid to say you don't know. And if someone comes up and asks you a funky question about Genesis or Leviticus or Habakkuk, I'll get back to you on that. There's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, verse 15, it's important for us to know what we believe and why we believe. If someone comes up and says, why are you a Christian? There's something I've heard people use this term before. It's called the one-minute testimony. That you should hopefully be able to effectively share in about a minute what you believe, why you believe, and how it's impacted your life. Because that's what Christ has done for you. Anybody else have anything to say here before we kind of move on with this? I think it's interesting how it says to give the answer. Did you read those, see those words there in verse 15? With meekness and fear. That word meekness literally means gentleness. Now, I know a lot of people... They give a great answer, theologically, what they believe and why they believe it, and they do not give it in meekness or gentleness. They give it in hellfire and brimstone. Now, some of you are saying, hey, there's nothing wrong with hellfire and brimstone. No, 
There's nothing wrong with hellfire and brimstone in certain situations. But if you're a one-trick pony and your only trick is hellfire and brimstone, you're not understanding meekness and gentleness. There are times where you need to do hellfire and brimstone. There's been times when I've been sharing Christ with people and I've looked them in the eye and said, do you realize you're going to hell if you die right now? That's hellfire and brimstone. That's honesty. That's truth. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's also this idea of meekness. I know people that once again have a theologically sound answer. And the reason it's theologically sound is because I hear it so clearly when they're yelling it and screaming it at me every single day. Meekness and gentleness. And the next one, with fear. That word fear means respect. There is a seriousness in this. And I, and, I, and I can't stress this enough. Do you realize the opportunity that God has given us? We have the opportunity to go talk to people about eternal matters and them getting saved and going to heaven or going to hell. That is big. I'm willing to bet nearly anything you've experienced today that has brought about some type of anguish or fear or worry, anxiety, tears, anger, frustration, does not compare in any way to somebody dying and going to hell. I'm willing to bet that. I've had at least two or three things today that's got me riled up, and I stop back and I look right now and I'm thinking, that doesn't compare to a neighbor dying and going to hell. That's what this phrase here is talking about, is with fear, seriousness, respect. When you have your mind on eternity, the little things of the world that you start bickering about with coworkers and friends and spouses and kids and you get upset about, it doesn't mean anything. Heaven and hell, that's what matters. So, the hope that's in you, to effectively share the gospel, you have to first experience it. We answer with meekness, gentleness, with fear, with respect. Now going to the next one, to give a defense to everyone, to give an answer. Now ask yourself, if someone came up to you and said, why are you a Christian? Can you give them an answer? I've been around people when that question's been asked, and I've heard some great answers. And I've also heard answers that go like this. Well, um... I don't know. I mean, my parents always took me to church. And um, ever since I was a little kid, I guess, I always did the church thing. And, um, I, you know, that's not good. I'm, I'm not picking on anybody. And I'm not saying you have to be eloquent, but there needs to be a place where you say, why are you? Can you imagine the Bible refers to our relationship with Christ on the same plane as marriage? Can you imagine someone coming up to me and saying, why did you marry Dawn? I, I don't know. Um, I mean, we met in high school, and um, I mean, I guess she's good. I kind of like her. No, why did you marry Dawn? I mean, it's your spouse. You hopefully can give an answer and say, why? I mean, I hope you don't like, hide from it and say, married? Who said I'm married? No one said I was married. How do, you, how do you know I'm married? I mean, I've seen people do that too. Are you a Christian? Well, why are you asking? Why, why do you wonder if I'm a Christian or not? I mean, what, who told you? It's not something to be ashamed of. It's our life-changing thing in Christ. Turn, if you will, real quick to Acts 26, please. Let's look at this. Because you know what? Acts 26 is a great example here of Paul when he shared his testimony. And what a wonderful testimony it is. And I tell you, a testimony is just a simple way when you tell people how you got saved. Acts 26. And what you see in Acts 26, you see three simple things. Paul talks about what his life was like before he got saved. Paul talks about when he got saved. And then Paul talks about what it was like after he got saved. How simple is that? And what you see here in Acts 26 is this. Verse, Acts 26, verse 1. Paul's on trial. Agrippa says to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. Now, you never give a pastor an open mic. And that's what they did. So what happens here in verses 2 through 11? Paul says, this is what my life was like before I got saved. And he comes right out and he says everything that he did. You know, verse 4 and 5, that he went and he says, I was raised as a Pharisee. And then he goes on to say right here that he served the 12 tribes. And then what happened was he said he was going to go round up people, verse 9, that were Christians. 
and punish them, put them to death. Now, this is a pet peeve of mine. You've heard me say this before in the past. The purpose of a testimony is to never glorify your sin. I've seen people do those testimonies where it's 20 minutes of every sin they've ever done followed by 20 seconds of I met Jesus, followed by 20 seconds of this is what I'm like now. But let me tell you one more story about when I got totally drunk at the bar. It's so funny. Let me tell you what happened. No, I don't need to hear one more story because I've heard a pastor say every testimony is the same. You were going to hell, you got saved, and now you're going to heaven. Now, some of you were going to hell a little quicker than other people going to hell, but we all were on the same road of destruction and hell. And so Paul... He doesn't glorify it. He doesn't hide from it. He comes right out and says, this is what they do. Verse 9, 10. I rounded up Christians that believed in Jesus. And, and look at verse 10 just one more time. Many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. So anytime you're out sharing Christ and you run into somebody who says, how can I be saved? You look at Paul, who used to round up people and put them to death. If Paul can be saved, anybody can be saved. So you have your past life, verses 2 through 11. Well, what you have now in verses 12 through 18 is what happened is, is when he met Christ. And he just comes right out and says, so he was walking along the road, verse 14. The Lord appears to him, verse 15. Who are you? Verse 15. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he talks about his conversion of how he then met Christ. And then he realized what his mission was, verse 18. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You talk about when you got saved. Maybe someone led you to the Lord. Maybe you saw somebody on TV. Maybe there was a message that you heard. I don't know, but you say, this is how I got saved. And then what happens in verses 19 through 23, Paul then talks about, this is what my life's been like after I got saved. This is how my life has changed. It's, it's, not, it's, it's actually very simple. What my life was like before I got saved how I got saved, and then now what it's like after I got saved. But here's the cool part about this. Verse 24, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. You have to be prepared. Anytime you share Christ, people are going to pick on you. you, you just, it's a fact. Verse 25, I'm not mad. So verse 26, you guys know this, but look right here. Verse 27, look at this altar call. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you also do believe. Verse 28, then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. See, what happens is a lot of times as Christians, we don't do verse 27. I heard a pastor say one time, you never give them the dessert after the meal. We talk to them about Jesus, but then we leave it as, well, if you have any questions, why don't you just give me a call sometime? Why not ask them? Why not ask them right then and there, you want this? You want to be saved? Right then and there. And, and that's what it is. And that's exactly what Paul says. Paul is standing before all these people, talking to one of the most powerful men in the area, and he says right there in verse 27, do you want to be saved? That's pretty neat. So when it comes back to this 1 Peter 3, give a defense of the hope that's in you. For us to first give a defense, for us to effectively share the gospel, which the word gospel means good news, for us to effectively share the good news, we first have to experience it. The hope has to be in you. So first question tonight is, are you saved? That's, that's the most important question, is realizing that there's come a time in your place where you stop and you realize, I am a sinner, I deserve hell, and the only way I can have heaven is through Christ. That's step one. Now, once you accept the fact that you are saved, I should say, or once you realize that and you understand what it means to be saved, well, then you go to the next one. Am I prepared now to give a defense? Do I want to tell people about Christ? And, and I'm being honest with you. If you know you're saved, and be quite honest, this passion for the Lord has kind of fizzled, tonight's a great night for you to stop and say, Lord, this is what it's all about. The only thing that matters is seeing people get saved. Lord, help me not to get worked up about the little things. Help me just to focus on souls getting saved. Now, when you see that phrase there, 
to give a defense or to give an answer to everyone who asks you. If you don't know what to say, this is why we study the Bible. I encourage you to get involved with Discipleship 1 or Discipleship 2. I encourage you to study. I encourage you, if you don't know what to say, come talk to me or Rich or, or, or somebody else, and we'll point you in the right direction. If you don't know what you should say, that's over here to encourage you and to help you with that. And how do you do it? Look at verse 15 one more time with meekness and fear. But don't forget verse 16. Your lifestyle is the greatest witnessing tool God has given you. Greatest witnessing tool. Because I've seen people, once again, say everything right, but their lifestyle is so loud people can't hear it. Years ago, I got a phone call from somebody, and he didn't want to give me his name, which is fine. And he said, do you know so-and-so? And I said, yeah. And they said, do, does, does he go out to your church? I said, well, he sporadically comes out to church. I would not call him regular, and, you know, and I at this point, don't even really know too much about what he's doing, what's going on. He goes, well, you know, this guy says he goes to your church. I said, okay. And he goes, I want to talk to you. And I said, okay. And so he goes through all these questions, you know, what we believe and how we act and what we do and all this other type of stuff. And it was really weird. And I finally said, well, why are you asking me this? He goes, well, he talks about your church and he talks about you all the time. I thought, oh boy. And he goes, this guy has a tendency when we go out to get totally wasted and at every party stand up and just start preaching Jesus totally wasted. And he goes, I thought, you know what? I need to find out what type of hypocritical church this is that allows that to go on. And I, I said, obviously, no, we don't. My point of that is sometimes your conduct in verse 16 totally overshadows every word you say. And I've seen it. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in other people's lives. And God help us to not only say it, but to walk it and live it and preach it in our actions with meekness and fear and have a God-given heart to want to see people get saved. And I'm telling you right now, whatever baggage you brought in tonight, whatever is falling apart in your life, compared to people going to hell, it doesn't compare. When you get your eyes back on Christ and eternity, man, that is all that matters. That is all that matters. And God help us to see that perspective in everything we do and say. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up with a word of prayer? All right, let's pray. Lord, as we just come to you now, we want to live this, Lord. We don't want to just preach it. We want to live it. Lord, we want to know the hope that is in us that is you, to take that hope that is in us and then to go out and share that with other people. Lord, when we run into people that may not know you, help us to have our lifestyle and actions be a light and a witness for you. Lord, help us to have the right words and answers with no matter what we face to be able to respond accordingly to you. Lord, help our conduct to be that good conduct to be a light and a witness for you. And Lord, what we want to finish up with here right now as I'm sure we all have, unsaved co-workers, friends and family, maybe spouses, kids that we're burdened for. We just want to come to you quietly and just personally give those people to you that they could truly come to know you. And Lord, we want to play a role in that. Not for selfishness or pride, but Lord, we love them so much. We want an open door to share you. And Lord, right now we give you those people just quietly and we give you those hearts of those people that don't know you. Lord, help us in our everyday actions be lights and witnesses for you. Some of it may be just simple. Some of it may be hardcore evangelism. But Lord, whatever it is, we want to shine for you in all we say and all we do. Lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.